Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Coming to you on Wednesday, January the 12th, right before tip-off of the Golden State Warriors game. That game, of course, is tonight, 10.30 on the East Coast, 7.30 on the West Coast. A big game against the Golden State Warriors. A a tough first game of a back-to-back that also includes a game against the Utah Jazz. Two teams that are playing extremely well. Two tough opponents for the Detroit Pistons. But let's see if we can steal one like we did last year. Who knows? On this episode of the podcast, I'm joined by Ben Gulker as well as Lazarus Jackson, and we talk about how the team has been playing recently. They've definitely been playing better, even off a loss to the Sacramento Kings just a few nights ago. It does seem that the team is rejuvenated. That change to the starting lineup has definitely helped Reggie Jackson as well as Tobias Harris, and because of that, we're seeing some improved play offensively. I'm still waiting to see the defense come around. The team started the season playing defense so well that I would love if it was part of this year that we were a top 10 defensive team. And I I think we might have to be the rest of the way if we're serious about being a playoff team this year. I want to thank everyone for listening. I'm really lucky that I get to do this because really I'm just a fan of the Pistons. And I've been able to turn that fandom into a weekly podcast where I get to talk to people about why they're fans, what they like about the team, and I've learned a lot. I listen and learn a lot about my team, and I've really enjoyed doing it. And I hope you enjoy listening to it. Because getting the feedback from the DBB community and from everyone who listens to this podcast, and I know that's a growing audience. I thank you for sharing this podcast, and I ask that you continue to do so in the new year. If you can, please subscribe to us on iTunes. Make sure to rate us on iTunes if you get a chance as well. If you want to give those five stars, that would be very lovely. And make sure every day throughout the NBA season to be checking DetroitBadBoys.com, the SB Nation site that should be your home for all Pistons news and information, as well as the home of this podcast. And with all that, let's get to the episode. It's time to go to work. All right, Ben. Well, after some technical difficulties, Happy New Year, everyone. Our first podcast of the new year. Uh, this was supposed to be the second podcast of the new year, but uh, that was lost in the in the DBB audio grave um, that maybe one day will we'll resurface at some point. But uh, luckily, we, we are moving forward with uh, some good basketball to talk about. I guess a mixture of good and bad uh, as we get closer to the All-Star break. Uh, now 40 games into the season, we've got some exciting things to talk about. So on for the episode uh, is Ben Galker as well as Lazarus Jackson. Laz, how are you? It's been a while since you've been on. Yeah, it's been a minute. Um, I'm well. Um, I'm excited for 2017. Um, I'm excited about how they've been playing, uh, Sacramento game notwithstanding. And uh, I'm ready to talk to you with you guys about it. And Ben, this is uh, 40 games into the season, our, our second full season on the podcast. I... <laughs> Now that we've done a hundred and some odd games together, hopefully you're you're ready for uh, the rest of the season as well. Yeah, let's do this. I mean, forty games. Wow, I was thinking about that right before we started, and it's like, so today is my my daughter's eight week birthday. I guess if that's a thing, week long birthdays. Um, <laughs> but like the last two months have just been a blur. So it's like you know, I blinked, and all of a sudden the season is half half over for better and worse. So um, yeah, let's let's do this thing. Well, let's start with the the game that we just saw. And Laz, I know you mentioned it. That it was definitely disappointing. Uh, a one hundred to ninety four loss on the road. Part of this five game road stretch that the Pistons are in the middle of right now. Um, you've got 
the Kings be- beating the Pistons last night, 194, in part just due to a big fourth quarter effort by the Kings. Laz, I'm not sure how much of the game you saw, but what were your big takeaways? And how did the Pistons lose that game? I, I stayed up for all of it. I was up until about, what, 145 in the morning, Eastern Coast. It's about, yeah, about yeah. when I was going to bed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was, uh, that was not how I planned on uh, spending that night. But I think what happened was late in the game, uh, really, it's, it, it was indicative of other issues we've seen in the past where if you uh, trap Reggie, the Reggie-Andre pick-and-roll up high, um, Andre because Andre can't put the ball on the floor and make plays, um, either passing or you really don't want him attacking with the ball from 15 feet either, um, you're, you end up relying on Reggie to do a lot of the uh, offensive creation. And if you trap him and force the ball out of his hands, uh, it kind of the offense kind of bogs down and gets very uh, ISO heavy, and it's it, much easier to defend that way. And so none of the uh, the free flowing offense from earlier, none of a uh, KCP did, wasn't getting the, uh, the the good looks he was getting from ball movement earlier in the game. Um, a guy like uh, Tobias could could attack the rim, but attacking the rim against a set defense is, instead of a defense that's you know scrambling to contain after after a ready drive. So the the offense kind of bogged down, which was the main thing I saw. I think uh, with it, with an 18 point lead, uh, I think midway through the third they had an 18 point lead. Uh, that's the kind of lead that uh, even if you play if you play even or even a little worse than the other team for the rest of the way, like you should lose. You can still win that game by like seven nine points. So the other team has to outplay you by a significant margin for the remainder of the game in order for you to lose a lead like that. And I think that happened in uh, in the Sacramento game, especially on the offensive end. Yeah, and I definitely noticed that in the fourth quarter. Do you worry about that going forward with that kind of being a recipe to stop not just the Pistons' offense, but really stop Reggie Jackson? And it seems because the ball is in his hands so much, especially in the fourth quarter, uh, that we just did not have any way of creating offense. Do you worry about that going forward, or was this just kind of a one-game issue? Well, the the long term solution, or uh, uh, I guess the, uh, the long term short term remedy to me for that is uh, is to go kind of smaller and to play a guy like Lure at center. Lure is obviously not unavailable, so you can't you can't do that in a game like this. But uh, I think I think if you go like Lure at five, you can run a one five pick and roll and have him, and you're confident enough that confident enough in Lure's ability to put the ball on the floor and distribute in a way that Andre can't that you can kind of escape some of those traps and like force the defense to play you more, uh, more fit up in the case of, uh, of like a Reggie uh, lower pick and roll. The, the thing is though, um, like you should still be able to create offensively. Even if you, you can put the ball, you can put the ball in another guy's hand to initiate the offense, right? Like you can give, I know Marcus has been cold, but you can give him some of those link post-ups. I know uh, late in the game in, in Portland, they went to the, the total one-three pick and roll to get the switch from uh, him onto Dame, a guy he can like shoot over and uh, kind of go around defensively. You could have done something similar. I think the, uh, I think they, uh, yeah, they were playing, they were playing uh, Ty Lawson late in the game. You can, you can get, you can run a one-three pick and roll and get Marcus isolated on Ty Lawson. Like I, I feel good about that, you know. There are other things you can you can do offensively. So uh, long term, I'm not super concerned about it. Uh, it. It kind of relates to how you feel about Lure's knee, but uh, I think I think that's not going to be a huge issue. I think uh, they'll they'll uh, I have confidence in Stan to create enough offense around uh, to kind of jury rig his way around a situation like that. Ben, what about you? Do you worry about that going forward? And what have you thought about Reggie Jackson's play in the last four or five games? Yeah, well, Reggie overall has been 
pretty fantastic when you look at some of his splits over the last five, over the last ten, and he's playing some of the best basketball of his career, arguably. Shooting the ball really efficiently, um, managing to get others involved in spite of the fact that he is, you know, taking a lot of shots, which I think is fine when he's shooting the ball and being productive. Um, I think, you know, I'm not panicking about the Pistons right now. I'm not panicking about this season, and I'm definitely not panicking about their long-term future. Um, but I do think this season we're sort of seeing, I think, some of the limits of this roster and this system when you put both of those things together. I do think that the Reggie Drummond pick and roll can be a very dynamic uh, offensive system, especially when the ball zips around the perimeter uh, and we get ball reversal and, and open guys are knocking down shots right now. Several guys aren't shooting the ball well, so that's not really working out. But um, I, I do think we saw this last season in particular. Teams have adapted to the Drummond pick and roll, um, and, and they're not able to stop it necessarily. I mean, you, you can't stop guys who are as talented as Reggie and, and Andre are. But you can slow them down and you can be disruptive. And I think what we're seeing is um, when teams are able to do that effectively, there isn't a whole lot of a plan B right now. Um, I, I don't think Tobias, even though his numbers are really good right now, I don't think Tobias and Reggie have really figured it out this season how to, to maximize both of their talents when they're both on the floor. And, and the reason I mention that is because I think Tobias is the most natural plan B for our offense. He's the most dynamic scorer um, outside of Reggie, Drummond, pick and roll. And to me, I just haven't seen them solve being on the floor together and being productive. So... To me, yeah, it's, it's not panic mode yet about this season. It's certainly not panic mode um, for the long-term uh, future of this roster. But I think we are bumping up into some of the limitations that we have. Uh, frankly, given the roster we have, we have some real weaknesses. And I think when teams do what Sacramento did in terms of jamming up the pick and roll, some of those get exposed a little bit. And I think some of that is definitely a function of, uh, of the roster. Uh if you had a guy who was more uh, who was more able to put the ball on the floor than, than Marcus is, you could have uh, you have uh, Reggie, KCP, Tobias, and another guy who you'd be more confident uh, putting the ball on the floor with in uh, in situations. Or if you had uh, better perimeter shooters, uh, Tobias has been shooting better from the perimeter, um, but he's still not like a knockdown shooter. You can you still in a in a clutch situation, teams will still play him to drive instead of shoot. Um, and I think sometimes in the uh, when you're spacing that one five pick and roll, you would want uh, you'd want defend, uh, an offensive player that defenders feel like that they have to stay home on to to create more space. If that makes any sense. Uh, no, no, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the the limitations are not super concerning. I think this team is still talented. I think this team is still good enough to make the playoffs in in the Eastern Conference. Um, uh, but uh, we we are definitely seeing some of the uh, we, the ceiling is uh, a little bit closer than I think we thought it was last year. Before I turn the attention on the Eastern Conference, we've got a stretch of games coming up here against Western Conference teams, back to back TV games, which is exciting if it weren't for the opponents and the likely outcome, uh, especially coming off uh, a loss to Sacramento. Uh, we've got the game. Tonight, if you're listening to this on Thursday at Golden State on TNT, and then the Friday night game at Utah on ESPN, uh, and that just about rounds out the West Coast trip. Uh, we've got the LA game on Sunday as well, and then we're back home for a short stretch. Um, 
with the end of this road trip, I know we've talked in really in SVG's era since he's been head coach, these West Coast trips have been very difficult for the Pistons. And whenever they go out West, it seems they've struggled in the last, you know, five to seven years as a fan. Definitely something I've noticed. Uh, how important are these next three? Laz, I'll start with you. Uh, and what sort of record is is there? Is there a record we need? I'm sure zero and three is unacceptable, but it, do you, do we need to get a win out of these next three? So if uh, I look at I look actually at the next four, uh, it's Golden State and Utah back to back. Then you said, like you said, the the Lakers on Saturday, and then Atlanta on uh, that that Monday, I believe. Um, you have to. I think you have to take at least two of those. Um, Right. Uh, you if you lose the Golden State Utah back to back, which I think is a fairly reasonable expectation, um, all of a sudden you're six games under 500 um, after the halfway point of the season. So I, I don't th- I don't think that's a good place to be. Obviously, um, so ideally you uh, you go two and two in the next four games. Um, maybe if uh, if Stan were a little bit more creative, if Stan were a little bit more uh, Popovichian. He would just completely punt the Golden State game on national television, and then try and uh, try and go for the uh, the Utah game the next day on national television, and and see how that played out. Uh, that's what that's what I would do, but I also don't run the teams, and that's probably a good thing. So maybe don't listen to me <laughs> about that. But uh, but I think I think you need at least two of these games. Um, I'm looking at the Lakers, and that's an opponent that I think they will. I think they can come out and win that game, especially coming off. What we all expect will be three straight losses. I think they'll be uh, focused enough to take that game over a team that uh, does not really play well on uh, either side of the ball. And uh, there's enough time between uh, the Lakers game and the Atlanta game to the point where I feel like they'll be they'll be well rested enough. Um, Atlanta has been on a on a pretty substantial win streak, but they're also kind of a team um, in flux right now. We uh, they just they just traded one of their uh, one of their better players. I know he's, he's considered probably their fourth wing Corver, but uh, he's still a, a really important part of their uh, their team, and he definitely uh, displayed that the last time the Pistons played them, at least. So uh, I think that's the game that the Pistons can win, but uh, that's more of a 50-50. That's more of a coin toss. So I think you, you definitely need to try and win the Lakers game and the Atlanta game. Yeah, I agree with that. But I want to get back to that strategy you mentioned of punting the Golden State game because I think that is kind of an interesting idea. Ben, what do you think of that, of resting the team during this road stretch against Golden State, a game that looks like a loss even though it's on national television, and then uh, getting everybody ready and rested for the Utah game? So I understand where you're coming from, Laz. Personally, it's not the road I would go. And and the reason I wouldn't is because I think – the Pistons are a bad team right now and I would look at every game as as also an attempt to practice and to improve um so that's why I wouldn't do it the Pistons are actually really bad on the second end of back-to-backs right now so I can sort of understand why that line of thinking you know might be persuasive because the Pistons are two and five on the second end of back-to-backs the big thing they do poorly in their back-to-backs on the second half of it is shoot the ball from deep they're 20 seven percent from deep on the second end of back-to-backs and utah is a top five defense right now so i certainly understand the rationale but i guess if it were me i would look at the golden state game as an opportunity to improve and frankly the pistons have played golden state tough i mean i, I was fortunate enough to go to the game this year at the palace on i think it was the 23rd it was back and forth the whole way and the pistons in in glimpse and flashes last year played the warriors tough too so I'll, 
while it's extremely likely that they're going to lose, it's not it's not determined that they're going to lose. Um, looking at the larger stretch of games, I, I personally am looking at the next six because you've got three on the road and then three at home. We've talked about the road trip. I, I think beating the Lakers and losing to the Warriors and Jazz would be okay. Just don't lose to the Lakers and go 0-3. Uh, but then the next three, you've got the Hawks, the Wizards, and the Kings at home. And I think if you can go 3-3 three and three over the course of the next six, you've sort of positioned yourself to maybe make a push toward 500 by the All-Star break. And I still think that if the Pistons can get there or close to there, um, they still have a pretty good shot at making the playoffs, which is really kind of hard to believe because there's been some really bad basketball over the last 10 to 15 games. Um, so I'm looking at the next six, not just the next two or the next three, because I think you've got three on the road and three at home, and, and three of those games are winnable. Uh, and if they can do that, they can prove that they still have a chance at uh, sneaking into the playoffs. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do you one better, Ben. Um, okay. I actually have a piece coming out tomorrow about uh, the 10-game stretch that starts okay. with the, the Washington game. So uh, to for our listeners who uh, don't feel like reading my piece, which you should because I wrote it and it's good, uh, it, the stretch is basically uh, home at Washington, home at Sacramento, uh, at Miami, at Boston, home for New Orleans, home for Minnesota, at Indiana, home for Philadelphia, home for the Lakers, um, and home for San Antonio. I think if you if you presume that they lose both the Golden State and the Utah games, that's uh, six games under 500. Um, if you presume that they split uh, the uh, Los Angeles Lakers and the Hawks game, that's uh, that's still six games under 500. Um, that's a, and then after that, that's a 10-game stretch with seven home games and uh, three fairly. Every time I say fairly winnable, I feel like they lose. But uh, it's they're uh, they're road games against Eastern Conference opponents, um, two of which are uh, 500 or, or worse teams in Miami and Indiana. So you can, you can go. That's that's an, a big opportunity for a nice stretch of basketball to get back to 500 before the All Star break, which is exactly what Ben was talking about. But in order to do that, being six games under 500, they'd have to go eight and two. So you'd have to maybe if looking just looking at that stretch, you lose the Boston game maybe, even though they already beat the the Celtics on the road. And I think the Celtics are, are uh, uniquely vulnerable to the Pistons because of uh, the strength of their rebounding. But just the Celtics are a better team than the Pistons right now. Say they lose that game. Say they lose the home game to uh, San Antonio. That's that's 8-2 and two during that stretch. That could see back to 500. Uh, 27 and 20. I think the record would be 20, yeah, 27 and 27. Um, that, that intrigues me. I think the I think that's possible for the team, especially since Reggie has been playing well um, ever since the, uh, the Miami game a couple a week ago. But uh, I think eight and two is a really high expectation, but that's something that it's definitely possible. And you're right. That stretch is really important because then you only have three games after that 10 game stretch before the all-star break. And looking at those three games, you're seeing uh, it's at Toronto, at Milwaukee and home for Dallas. If you can creep close to 500 at the all-star break, I think that is what I'm looking for because turning the attention to the Eastern conference standings right now, I think that's good enough to continue to be in the conversation and be on the playoff bubble. We might still be on the outside if we're not quite at 500 or above, but looking at the Eastern Conference right now, you've had a couple teams that have fallen. Uh, the New York Knicks, I think, are the most notable with what's going on there. Derrick Rose aside, I feel like that's a podcast in itself. The team's 2-8 and eight in their last 10. The defense has been atrocious. 
and it seems that they have lacked some focus and uh, it's cost them some wins. They've had, uh, I think, three of the last six I saw recently were fourth quarter losses in which they had a 10-point lead at some point in the game. So the Knicks are starting to fall apart. Uh, you have the Hornets now in the eighth spot. They've been struggling uh, recently. So if you have some of those Eastern Conference teams coming back to the pack, I think it keeps the Pistons in the conversation if they can stay around 500. Uh, ben, is that good enough for some of the expectations we had going into the season? It, it doesn't seem like it's good enough, but is getting just back into the playoffs and staying around 500, is that good enough for this year? Well, I think it is considering Reggie Jackson this the first 21 games of the season. I think you know backup point guard was a huge question mark going into the season. And the fact that the team managed to be 11 and 10 in his absence. The fact that his return was obviously disruptive and it took seven, eight, nine games before anyone really felt comfortable. Yeah. I mean, I would take that. Um, obviously it's disappointing. I thought the Pistons could threaten 50 wins if everyone stayed healthy and things gelled. And, you know, that's obviously out of the question at this point. There's, there's no way that's going to happen, but you know, all things considered, um, Given where we are right now, if the Pistons can end up at 41 and 41, I think that's definitely um, definitely a good thing. I mean, guys have struggled. Marcus is playing, you know, the worst basketball, I think, since he's been with the Pistons right now. Stanley Johnson has taken a huge step back. Baines has been hurt. Now Luer is hurt. So there's been a lot of bumps along the way, and things haven't gone anywhere close to perfect. So I would be absolutely okay with 500. Um, I mean, I think it, it makes for a really, really tough first-round playoff series uh, that doesn't go particularly well. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can't control injuries, and bad luck happens. And um, if the team can rally and get to 500, then I think they've managed to um, make some lemonade out of a season full of lemons. It, it's really funny to me because if if the uh, if the wins and losses were kind of reversed. If they had, uh, if Reggie had gotten hurt and they struggled out of the gate and uh, struggled to like a three and eight record and then they returned and then they started playing a 500 basketball, I think people would feel a lot better about the, the tone and tenor of the season. But uh, because they started out 500 and then Reggie came back and then be, uh, that turned out to be very disruptive to, to the team on both ends of the ball, I feel like that, that doesn't give people a lot of, uh, now, now that they're rounding into shape, People feel better about how the season has gone, but uh, that stretch, we those were some dark days in uh, in early December. Well, and I feel compelled to point out too that the Pistons' net rating makes them a 500 team. Um, if you look at offensive rating minus defensive rating, they're just like a fraction of a point below even. So their record may not even be an adequate way to assess the quality of the team. And I think the other thing is this team is bound to get hot at some point. Marcus is not going to continue shooting this poorly. At some point, all of the Pistons are going to fire, and they'll go on a four or five game win streak, and they just haven't done that yet. So at some point they will, and when that happens, the hope is that they're not too far behind 500, right, so that that win streak becomes irrelevant and it's not good enough. So, Laz, I think your analysis is spot on. They, they really need to be good over the next 12 to 13 games, so that when they do get hot, that hot streak gives them a chance to get into the playoffs. Well, I, th I think then we should look at some of the reasons to maybe be optimistic. Because we are offering, I think, with the last few games, I think just from what I've heard from both of you, 
there has been some better basketball out of the Pistons lately. So let's talk about some of the reasons that maybe the team has been playing a little bit better and maybe some of the things to still keep an eye on. Uh, in terms of just keeping an eye on the defense and the rebounding, Ben, I know those are two things that you pointed out when we were talking about this episode. Uh, are they still a concern, and have you seen anything that makes you think that there could be a turnaround uh, for the defense or for the rebounding? Yeah, so, I mean, these two things are obviously related to each other. Um, good defensive rebounding teams are going to limit second-chance points, and that's going to contribute to good defense, right? Andre Drummond is one of the most dominant rebounders on the planet. There's absolutely no question about it. But the Pistons are just barely above average when it comes to rebounding, if you look at something that's pace-adjusted and position-adjusted like a rebounding percentage. They're 11th in the league. And to me, that's a little bit mind-boggling when you're talking about having one of the, the elite rebounders in the world on your team. So to me, I think um, for this Pistons team, given the construction of the roster, I think they need better rebounding out of Marcus and they need much better rebounding out of Tobias if he's going to continue to play the four. And Laz, I know you have ideas about whether or not Tobias is a four or not, and, and maybe that feeds into this conversation. But um, certainly they need better rebounding out of the three and four. They're just sort of letting Andre Drummond do it all. And as good as he is on the glass, he can't do everything. Uh, and this team simply isn't good enough offensively to not win the possessions battle in a convincing way. So I think rebounding is a big part of that. I, Defensively, I, yeah. I totally agree with you, Ben. Um, the The Charlotte game was one that really stood out to me because that was a game where uh, Marcus was cold, but he attacked the glass. He had 11 rebounds. Yeah, um, yeah. And that like, that was that was something that was very very meaningful to me because you could look at a you could look at him uh, a guy that's struggling and he's trying to create his own offense but uh, in, in crashing the glass and doing stuff like that he's creating extra possessions for a team that uh, that desperately could use those extra possessions to be better offensively so I totally agree with where you're coming from yeah and so like thinking about the Kings game right I mean Tobias Harris played for 39 minutes and he had three rebounds that's just not anywhere close to good enough um from your starting or backup power forward so i think there has to be a concerted effort from the three and the fours collectively uh to rebound better because this this roster just is not going to win if they're not controlling the defensive glass in particular defensively you know i i don't know i don't know how i feel about this team um the eye test says they're terrible defensively but when you look at their numbers as a whole, they're actually not terrible defensively. Um, so I, I think maybe part of what's swaying my perception here is that this is a team that has been involved in so many blowouts both ways, right? Like, so they've blown teams out of the gym, and then they've gotten blown out of the gym. And when they've gotten blown out, their defense has just been so atrocious that, that maybe it makes me think they're worse than they actually are. Um, but again, I think this is a team where offensively there are some really clear limitations to how good they can be. Um, so their defense and their rebounding have to be quite a bit better than average, I think, for them to get where they want to be as a team. I think it starts with Reggie. I think he really struggled early on, in my opinion, when he was getting his legs under him. Uh, I think limiting dribble penetration is a weakness of his, uh, so it has to start there. And then I, I think the other guy who has to be much, much better is Andre Drummond. He, in my view, just really has not proved at all on the defensive side of the, the ball this year. Um, and he may have even regressed. He's, he's just not playing well as a team defender 
or as an individual defender. So to me, if the Pistons are going to push, yes, they're going to have a hot streak. Mark will start shooting the ball better. But but if they're going to push to the playoffs, they have to improve on the glass and on defense. Yeah, I mean, you look at the even the Sacramento game last night, which uh, was, I think, Andre's best defensive performance of the year, uh, seven blocks, three steals. Um, you had him stepping up to challenge guys at the rim, forcing misses or uh, forcing dump-offs, but having the team uh, behind him, having the threes and fours behind him not rotate and uh, giving up easy layups. And you could see the frustration on his face like during the game, like, come on, guys, like, help the helper. Like, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing the best I can to protect the rim because that's where Sacramento does the majority of their damage, and, and I'm not being supported. So I, I, but I totally agree with Ben's assessment that um, defensive breakdowns usually start with uh, with, Reggie, with Reggie Jackson. Um, that's uh, that's a problem that's not uh, unusual in today's NBA. Um, there are a lot of guys. There's uh, there's a lot of guys where the uh, because because of the the demand for offensive creation, I think a lot of guys relax on defense, and that uh, it doesn't bode well. You look at a guy like uh, Damian Lillard or a guy like a uh, well, James Harden has been better this year, but you look at a guy like James Harden, or you look at a guy like uh, like Russell Westbrook, who's who's thought of as a good defender, but kind of plays matador defense at times, where uh, he'll kind of olay you, go for the steal, and if he doesn't get it, well, the four guys are behind him who are kind of in trouble. Um, I feel like that happens a lot with Reggie. Reggie gets hung, he gets hung up on screens all the time. He tries to use his uh, his really uh, long arms to to bother shots from behind, which. Uh, it's a great way to foul people and not actually challenge any shots. But I feel like the, the defense does – it's good because it does what Stan wants it to do, which is create a lot of shots from the 12 to 18-foot range um, and limit the amount of three-pointers that, that uh, they give up. Um, which is, you know, I mean, if in today's NBA where the spacing of the floor is so important and uh, teams are shooting more threes than they have in the past, um, designing your defense to uh, enable the team to shoot shots that they don't necessarily want to shoot um, is a pretty good defensive strategy, in my opinion. Uh, they just need the uh, – it, it starts at the top. It starts with Reggie Jackson. It starts with the, uh, the personnel needs to uh, execute the scheme uh, more effectively. Yeah, I agree. I think it comes back to Reggie with that. Uh, but you're right that that it is kind of SVG's style to force teams into those long twos, which we know statistically are some of the worst shots teams can take. Uh, try not to foul and then keep teams from just taking, yeah, at least getting good looks on the three-point line. Yeah, and don't give, give up any points in transition. Like, that's the, that's another big tenet. Absolutely. Uh, that seemed to be working really well with Ish Smith. Uh, you know, the, the way the defense was playing the first half of the season – uh, for I guess the first half of this first half of the season, uh, that would be a quarter. Um, <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, I can do math. Is is there something in Reggie Laz that you see is lacking on the on defense? Something that he needs to do uh, to be better? Because it does seem that the defense was just working better. Uh, or did that have more to do with pace, or maybe something else that I'm not seeing? Uh, because it does seem that Reggie's kind of the weak link. I, I hate to rag on uh, these guys on an effort level because they are professional athletes. They are paid uh, extremely handsomely to do a job, and they do it really well. But uh, at times, it definitely seems like uh, the minute Reggie gets uh, screened by an opposing big, like he's out of the play completely. 
And so when when you have situations like that, it, it definitely just looks like an effort level thing. Um, Ish would Ish is a is a he's a shorter guy. He's less wing. Uh, the wingspan is shorter than than Reggie's. So he when he was defending point guards, you saw him work harder to fight through screens and bother guys on the dribble and uh, make the dribble penetration more difficult for opposing guards. And I think that was that was a large part of what, what made the Pistons defense uh, better in the first quarter of the season. Um, you you love to you'd love to just you know put a microchip in everybody's brain that makes them give 100% effort all the time, but uh, that's not possible. So I think you, you, you'd like, ideally, for uh, Reggie Jackson to just give more effort defensively. Yeah, I largely agree with everything Lash just said. I, two things I would point out with respect to Reggie. The first one I think is conditioning. I, I think he catches his breath on defense, especially right now when he may, and it may not be quite 100%. And I've always kind of thought this about Reggie. He, he looks tired to me a lot, especially by the time we get down to the fourth quarter. He just, he looks tired. He looks like he's breathing heavy a lot. And I think some of that has to do with the fact that he, he gives a lot on offense. I mean, he, he carries a, a big chunk of, of the Pistons load on offense. He, he has the ball a lot and he goes hard when he has the ball. The, the second thing I would point out, and this is super subjective and, and maybe I'm wrong, but he doesn't look very quick side to side to me. He looks like he's he's much more comfortable going north south, which, like I, whenever I hear those terms, I always think of Emmett Smith and Barry Sanders because I grew up watching those two guys, and Barry could go you know right to left faster than anyone I've ever seen. But Ish to me looks much more mobile laterally, and, and I think that might be part of why he's able to get through screens more quickly. One, yeah, he is smaller, so I think he kind of gets under things, and he's able to to move that way as well. But I I don't think Reggie is particularly quick side to side. So I'm not sure he's ever going to be, you know, a lockdown defender. Um, but I think Laz's point about the pick and roll is so on point. So many teams are built around the pick and roll right now. And you can see this in the Eastern conference and several of the top teams as well. Uh, out West, uh, your point guard has to be able to get through screens more consistently than Reggie does. Um, and, you know, I don't have a magic answer to that. I think, yeah, I think his conditioning still isn't where it should be. I don't think he's as, his quick, I think he does sort of rely on his length a little bit too much. He relies on it to a fault rather than working through screens. And yeah, I don't think we have guys who are particularly good at helping the helper. As last pointed out, we don't rotate well once the play breaks down. And in the NBA, plays are going to break down because we have incredibly talented offensive players who are going to be able to do that on a pretty consistent basis. So yeah, I want to see Reggie get better. Um, I think he can be better than he is now. Um, but I think there's a clear ceiling on how good he can be, which I think forces his teammates to, to adjust a little bit. Yeah, so I mean, one thing that I think, I doubt I'm alone on this, but I think Stan Van Gundy has to find a way to get Boban 15 minutes a game. Um, I think his sort of coming of age, coming out ceremony that he had, I forget even which game it was, where, you know, he, he was absolutely dominant. Like, Guys who can be that dominant in any NBA game are are worth taking a shot on. And I know Andre Drummond is the cornerstone of the franchise, and I get that. Um, but I, I think Van Gundy, there's nothing to lose at this point. The Pistons are several games below 500. they They've got a really tough stretch of games coming up. 
And I, I think the reluctance probably has to do with concerns about um, defensive liability and his inability to be mobile. Um, but I, I think matchup problems work both ways. And I think um, Boban is uniquely gifted around the rim just because of how freaking tall he is. I mean, he's not particularly graceful and not particularly, you know, he's not going to wow you with his post moves or anything, but he's seven foot three. He can dunk without jumping. And frankly, he's a force defensively when he doesn't have to leave the paint. Um, so do you play him 30, 35 minutes a game? No, probably not, because I think his weaknesses get exposed by a lot of today's NBA big men. Um, but I think Baines has been struggling. He's hurt. Lure has been pretty reliable, but he's hurt. And Andre Drummond can't play 40 minutes a game. So I think really strategically finding a way to insert Bobot into the lineup can really help the team. He's not the savior, but he's very, very good every time he's had the chance at every point in his career. And uh, I think, you know, now's the time for him to step up. And I hope SVG has the the trust in him to do so, uh, because I, I think he can make a difference for a second unit that's just been all over the map this season. I was I was on the side of the uh, of the critics earlier in the year. Um, I, I did see his limitations. You see that he uh, doesn't really do a great job of moving uh, laterally defensively. Um, you see where he shuts down dribble penetration, shots around the rim because no one wants to shoot. Next to him. But uh, you could also see where if you have a, a stretch five. Or stretch big, and you have to bring him out out of the paint. You can see how that could have you know catastrophic results for the rest of the defense. But um, I I think Ben's right. I think Ben's got a point. I'm coming around on uh, on the idea of what Boban can can do for this team on a consistent basis. Um, he's and it's it's for me it's more of what he can offer uh, offensively for a second unit that has trouble scoring in the half court. Um, Boban is a, is a really deadly post-up threat, which is something that's a little bit lost in today's NBA because of because of the spacing of the floor, because of uh, everyone's trying to shoot threes. But uh, a guy that big with uh, with that much touch, a guy that deft around the rim, uh, I think that's a guy that uh, for in the second unit you can you can throw him you know three four post-ups a half and have and come out with you know. Uh, six points, uh, five points, uh, you know, two really good shots and a foul to, to stop a third really good shot. Uh, I think that that's definitely something that the, the Pistons need to explore more. And I definitely think that makes Aaron Baines ex- the expendable. And that's and that ties into roster construction. If, if Aaron Baines is expendable um, and the All-Star break's coming up and the trade deadline, I think shortly after that, uh, we... You have uh, the opportunity to uh, get something for a guy who is probably not going to be on the Pistons roster next year and who uh, you have a backup for who is definitely capable. Um, I think that that lends itself to uh, the, the possibility of uh, making an acquisition for a playoff push. But, uh, you know, to rewind it back a little bit, I'm, I'm kind of surprised with, uh, with how well Boban has played. Um, I didn't. I didn't foresee this at the beginning of the year. I know he has is a huge cult following from San Antonio, and uh, every time you saw him in a game, uh, you, you'd see him see him uh, do what he did, 
and like, the whole bench goes crazy because they're so excited for him and everything. But I, I didn't know if he was a legitimate NBA player for 15 minutes a night. And I think he's, I think he's definitely earned at the very least the, uh, the right to show that he can be that for this team. Yeah, I totally agree with that last bit. I think he, he, his play has been good enough that you can't ignore it and write it off as a fluke. I, I think the play has been good enough that it would be foolish not to, over the next 10 to 15 games, carve out 15 minutes a night just to see what happens. Because, I mean, if he can get you 8 points and 8 rebounds in 15 minutes, that is absolutely fantastic production out of a backup center. And I think, as you talked about just feeding him the ball, getting him a couple good shots, and then, then maybe they need to foul. He's a fantastic free-throw shooter. So he is absolutely a, a, a weapon. And I think... You know, one of the things I kick around a lot when I'm watching today's NBA is you certainly see very, very few big men um, actually getting the post. You're seeing guys like Mark Gasol now becoming three-point specialists, which you know, I'm not critical of that. I think, you know, three-point shots, if you can shoot 38%, that's a fantastic shot, and you should shoot it. But I think some of it is the fact that there just aren't very many players with that sort of a skill set. It's not just that, you know, somehow the game of basketball is better you know, when you have five guys who can shoot the three, it's that there are very few big men who are committed to the post right now. And I think Boban presents a really unique matchup nightmare because not only are teams not doing this on their own offensive scheming, they don't have bigs who are prepared to deal with it. Um, so I think you can just sort of have in 15 minutes a night, you can cause a whole lot of frustration uh, for teams' second units. And if you could turn the Pistons bench into a plus unit, I mean, that would go a long, long way towards sorting out some of these woes because, I mean, really, the bench production, you've had almost nothing from backup shooting guard. You've had less than nothing from backup small forward, and I think the only thing you've gotten is when Tobias moved to the bench and and previously lure ahead of him. So, you know, he's not going to give you 10 and 10 in five minutes every night, but if he can give you six and six or eight and eight on, on high efficiency, he's probably also going to get a block or two. That's absolutely worth exploring and seeing if it if it can actually be done over the course of 40 games. And I, I want to go back to, Laz, you made a point about roster construction and with the way Boban has played and the look that he gives the second unit, uh, it does make Aaron Baines expendable. What I would like to see in the next dozen games or so is for Aaron Baines to come back and to give him some of the minutes that you're seeing from Boban as a you know, a potential tryout for other teams to see if we can improve his stock a bit going into the trade deadline. Because I think this is still a team, and, and you know, let me know if you agree or disagree with me, that we'll need to make a move to either improve that 3-4 spot or improve the scoring off the bench. Uh, so I would have to think that Aaron Baines would be included in a trade like that, but I think we would also benefit from seeing healthy good Aaron Baines to try to improve that stock a bit if we can before we move him. Uh, ben, I'll start with you. Is this, are you happy with the roster as constructed or is there a move that needs to be made? And what is the move for you if there is one? Yeah, so definitely the roster has to improve. I, there's no question about it. This this core of players is, is not a contender. There's not enough talent here. No realistic amount of internal development is going to get this team to contending for the fourth seed, let alone the Eastern Conference Finals or a championship. Uh, I think the clear weaknesses are small forward. I, I really like Marcus Morris, but I think he's more suited to a super sub sort of role. I think he would 
thrive in a off-the-bench number one option for the second unit. Um, and then I, I think that if you can improve the starting small forward, that be, would be fantastic and move Marcus to the bench. I think more realistically, if we're talking about Baines as the trade chip, you're probably looking at a backup 2-3 because I think backup shooting guard and backup small, small forward are very obvious holes. And I mean, literally any amount of production would be more than we're getting as much as I hate to stay it from, from Stanley Johnson right now. Um, so to me, if you can make an incremental move, and if you're trading Aaron Baines, you're, you're only going to get an incremental amount of return, then I think that's the obvious candidate for improvement. Backup two, backup three. Yeah, I, I totally agree with Ben. I think the uh, that is the that is backup two. It's definitely the position of most. That's definitely the weakest position on this team. Um, Darren Hilliard has gotten roughly a season and a half to prove he's uh, he's an NBA player. He hasn't really shown that, in my opinion. Um, I think he he's a half step too slow on both sides of the ball. He does do a great job creating his own shot. Um, I think if uh, if he did a better job of making open shots that were created for him in the flow of the offense, I think you could be fine with a guy like that. But he's he's shown himself incapable of doing that. Um, I'm intrigued to see what Reggie Bullock is capable of when he returns um, from his meniscus injury in I think uh, a week or two, a week or two. Um, but uh, Reggie Bullock is another guy who can't really create his own offense off of the bench. Who is a guy uh, who's ideally spotting up um, on the on the wings or in the corner for uh, for open threes, and he's also a guy who shot the ball well uh, last year in that role, but for his career um, hasn't really shown that he can can make those shots uh, consistently. So I think that's definitely the position where you'd like to upgrade the most um, for this team. Uh, you look at a guy like. Uh, like a Tony Snell for the Bucks, who's played really well this year and is shot better than I think a lot of people expected from the perimeter. Um, and that was a really cheap acquisition. Uh, you look at a guy like uh, like a Nick Stauskas, who uh, I think has tailed off, has cooled off a little bit uh, since starting the year kind of hot. But that, that's a guy who can make open shots and, and dribble the ball a little bit, um, who is who the acquisition cost was relatively uh, low for. Um, Look at a guy like uh, like a Ben McLemore, who uh, I think is trapped in uh, a Sacramento situation that's not that was never really the right situation for him. And I think there's there's a good player still in him, and that's that's another guy who I think the the acquisition cost would be low enough for that the Pistons can uh, can take a risk and and offer like a second round pick for him or something like that. Um, but once you throw Aaron Baines into the mix. That that kind of ups the the level of of uh, backup shooting guard that I think you can look for. Um, I I but I do think that's definitely the weakest part of the team. Um, what what hasn't helped I think is is Stanley Johnson's uh, lack of offensive development at uh, on on the on the wing for the backup unit. Uh, he looks he looks really confident out there defensively and he's getting the minutes he wasn't getting earlier in the season because he's playing the passing lanes well because he's defending on the ball because he's playing hard uh, every night but offensively he looks uh very tentative he looks scared not necessarily like scared of the other guys on the court or um scared to shoot he looks uh he looks afraid to make a mistake that will get him pulled from the game 
And, yeah, he looks like a sophomore starting for the varsity who's, like, terrified out of his mind. Right, exactly. He looks like any, any you can tell, like, he feels like he's going to get knocked back down to JV if he turns the ball. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so uh, that that is something that I think you have to lay at the feet of Stan Van Gundy and say, like, hey, like, this is this is the number eight pick in the draft. This is the guy that we were uh, really excited about and a, and a valuable asset that you have not done a great job of developing. And uh, and that has long-term ramifications for the future of this franchise. If he doesn't improve offensively, uh, like now you're looking for other guys in free agency or you uh, you can't trade away future draft picks because uh, because you need you need guys on your timeline, which is uh, you know not necessarily you don't have the time to bring a guy like a like a Michael Benege up to speed. You, you need guys that are you know ready to play right away if you're trying to make the playoffs. So. Uh, I think that's a backup. So to, to recap, backup two is a huge issue of need, and it it is a huge issue of need because Stan Van Gundy has handled Stanley Johnson poorly. So I'll throw one other thing into the mix that I think could move the needle just a little bit, uh, and it has to do with the second unit, uh, particularly on offense. And uh, I would play Bano Udre. Um, I think if the goal is to try to make this play, make the playoffs this season, and I think that has to be the goal in, in Stan's third season. Um, Bannon was surprisingly effective, in my view, over the first 21 games. Like, I, I was shocked at how effective he was um, in terms of getting his own shot in sort of like the 15 to 18 foot range. He was really effective um, around the elbows, off the dribble. Good shooter and also a pretty good ball handler. And uh, I, I think you lose something on defense. Uh, he's not as good a defender as Smith, in my opinion. Um, but I, I don't think defense is what the second unit is necessarily lacking. They, they have to figure out a way to put the ball in the basket. So I would play Bano and I would play Boban. And, um, you know, is that enough to get them to 500 in and of itself? Well, I, I don't know that that's the case. But I think it would help. Um, so I'm, I'm hashtag free Boban and um, I'm not going to do hashtag free Beno because I think that's a little ridiculous. But I would give Beno a chance um, very soon here uh, in hopes of jump-starting the second unit. So, Ben, would you play Would you play Ish and Beno together uh, as kind of a one-two matchup, or would you play Beno in place of Ish? I, I would start with playing Beno in place of Ish. I mean, I, I, there's no good answer at backup shooting guard. At one point, I was sort of thinking maybe you play... You try to bring Beno in relatively early for Reggie um, and play him at the one and then sub Reggie in for KCP and play Benno at the backup two. I mean, that's not ideal by any stretch of the imagination, but that has sort of been what I've been imagining. Um, you know, Benno and Ish defensively, I, I just don't know. I don't know if that's good enough. I don't know. What do you think? Well, my whole thing is, Stan is, when Stan lost faith in Darren Hilliard about three or four games ago, he started utilizing the Reggie and Ish backcourt more to kind of steal minutes in the second quarter, and I absolutely hate that lineup. That lineup does uh, a poor job of uh, that highlights the lineup does a, a great job of highlighting all of Reggie Jackson's weaknesses and minimizing his strengths. Uh, without a guy like KCP next to him in the backcourt, the, the lane gets even smaller for Reggie, and so he's a much less effective player. And uh, defensively, a guy like KCP he doesn't have a guy like KCP next to him. Uh, he has Ish. And so you can you can you can dribble penetrate uh, against that that backcourt 
and it makes him look bad. So I, I personally just really don't like that lineup. So, uh, but the idea of playing Ish and Beno together, um, intrigues me. Uh, the idea of playing Ish and Beno, like Ish, Beno, uh, Stanley, Tobias, uh, when, when Lurie gets healthy and Boban and just kind of, uh, Sacrificing uh, a lot of dribble penetration on defense for uh, just, you know, uh, accelerating the pace a lot and uh, having a guy who can create uh, his own uh, admittedly uh, not that great shots in Beno. Uh, Beno creates a lot of like mid range jump shots for himself. He doesn't really get all the way to the rim. So uh, that's not the, the greatest shot, but he seems to make them at a good enough rate to where it's a good shot for him. So uh, I think maybe if you, and and, um, and it doesn't put a guy like uh, Reggie Jackson out on the floor to play more minutes, to uh, to display more fatigue, uh, and maybe he has more effort and more energy on the defensive end later in games uh, with that lineup and, instead of uh, if, if Ben was playing uh, in place of him. But uh, I think, yeah, that's definitely intriguing to me. Um, I, I doubt we'll see it because Stan's very uh, stubborn with his rotations. Um, and uh, I think – and Reggie, and Reggie uh, Bullock. Reggie Bullock will be back soon. And I think we'll see that in place of, uh, of anything else. But uh, that's, that's definitely an intriguing idea and one that I think um, if, we had, if we had more insight in the team, if we were, like, watching practices or something like that, uh, we, we could definitely get more of an insight as to, like, maybe how that looks on a basketball court. Well, to me, like, so the reality is 21 games into the season, this this team was a game over 500, and I think a lot of that had to do with Benno and Ish. I think they both played really quality basketball, not always at the same time and in the same games, but, and I think Benno is just better offensively. He, he if you if you run out Benno, regardless of if you have a shooting guard, Ish or Reggie uh, Bullock, um, Stanley, Tobias, and Boban, you've got three of those five guys can put the ball in the basket. Benno can shoot, Tobias can score, and then obviously we know what Boban can do when he gets the ball two feet from the two feet from the rim. So yeah, you're sacrificing something defensively, um, but you've got a lineup that could potentially cause some real problems for second units. And if, if you could run that out there for 15 minutes a game, you know, my, my thought is the second unit has not worked for two and a half years now, and we've gotten almost nothing out of the bench. You've got some guys who are productive in limited minutes. You have literally nothing to lose by throwing them out there and seeing if the production can hold up for 40 games at 10 to 15 minutes a game. Yeah. Jordan, what do you think? Because we haven't heard from you for a while, and I feel kind of bad. <laughs> no, no, I like the back and forth. See, I was ready to totally derail the podcast because I had my own thought that was totally different from shoring up the two because I'm just hoping that Reggie Bullock comes back and is effective enough that that helps to alleviate, you know, what we're seeing at, at the backup two right now. Um, and and we'll probably take Stanley, for the most part, out of the rotation. I would have to think he would he would be the person that, that's taken out. I don't mind the idea of Benno just because it puts another shooter into the rotation, and we definitely could use that with the second unit. I think I agree with you, Laz, that adding him with Ish while you're probably sacrificing defensively, I think you're making a major sacrifice. But is it enough of one that, you know, adding that shooter I think is so valuable, it might be worth it uh, to at least roll out for for short minutes at some point in the in the near future. Uh, but again, I think Reggie gets first crack at that. And if he proves to be good enough, my idea was, well, then you look at Tobias Harris, who was just, 
you know, knocked from his starting spot. Uh, You have Aaron Baines, who may be expendable. Putting their contracts together gets you close to a a very large number. It's about $23 million. Uh, And Carmelo Anthony got ejected the other night and sat on the bench, didn't talk to his teammates, and I thought to myself, (laughs) maybe... Maybe Carmelo's ready to to wave the no trade clause, and I'm not even sure if that's a good idea because I've thought of this before as a fan of just putting Carmelo because of that draft and because of Darko, putting Carmelo in a Pistons jersey, and this this could be the time. I'm not sure how big of a splash Stan and Jeff will be looking to make at the deadline. I'm guessing a small one. I think I agree with you. It's probably a backup to maybe a player that isn't in the rotation or is fighting for minutes on a on a Western conference team, I think makes quite a bit of sense. But if they're thinking big, then I, I think you have some disgruntled superstars that you could chase. And that $20 million number, uh, it gets you, you know, Tobias and Aaron Baines will get you there. So, but that was, that, that was me completely derailing the topic like 10 minutes ago. What uh, position does Carmelo play in this scenario? Yeah. I think, I think in New York, you already see the failure of, of Carmelo, not, Carmelo, okay, that's the wrong word. Carmelo is not a failure, but uh, in New York right now, you have an offensive system that should be based around a 1-5 pick and roll with Kristaps Porzingis, and Carmelo mucks that up a ton, valuably, because, you know, he's Carmelo, but he mucks that up. Um, If he came to Detroit, he would do the exact same thing. I don't know. I don't know if that's a good idea. I think you play him with Marcus. I think you give him a role similar to Tobias and yeah, you go small and, and see if that works. Uh, so it probably means Carmelo playing more at the four. Uh, and, and maybe that that's part of the conversation is talking to Carmelo and see if he's going to be comfortable with the idea of being more of a perimeter player. I haven't even really looked at his stats this year. I was just watching the Knicks the other night and saw that he was really upset and it's still putting up generally Carmelo numbers. Uh, it's a bit of a, a down season for him. Part of that is just he's at a point in his career where, you know, he's a little past his prime. But I, I think it's, a you know, maybe worth a conversation on DBB <laughs> to get some more opinions before I say yay or nay. But it was something I had thought of. Yeah, I mean, I advocated trading for uh, Danilo, Danilo Gallinari in a piece last week. And that got uh, pretty roundly backed down. By DBB, I was surprised. I'm surprised we didn't have more uh, Danilo, Danilo love in, uh, in Detroit. Yeah, I noticed that. No love for Gallo. I was yeah. shocked because that that's a guy that I really en- I really love his game, and I think he'd be a perfect fit. So, and yeah, he's DBB, really been. DBB's a rough crowd. It is. It's a rough crowd, but he he's really been performing well uh, in the limited time he's been playing at the four. Uh, it, he hasn't seen much of it this year, but when he plays with Nurkic and Barton as the three, four, five, he he's seen some of his best production in limited minutes with those uh, with that combination. Yeah. So the, I, the thing that intrigued me about him was that he was a guy that's perceived as a knockdown shooter, and I think that that opens up more. He perceived as more of a knockdown shooter than Tobias, and that that kind of stretches the the defense even even thinner than they would need to be, and for the starting lineup. Um, and so I don't think of Tobias as a good enough defender to where uh, you lose much in that transaction with him. So in my mind, you, you gained a better shooter and uh, the you got slightly worse defensively, but not uh, in a noticeable enough way to make the trade not worthwhile in return for an asset that could leave during the summer 
um, instead of Tobias, who is on a ridiculous contract right now. That's very true. Yeah, you give yourself a little bit of freedom as well if it doesn't work out, right? Is that kind of what you're thinking? 24. Which I think, you know, Gallo's like something like 28. I think 28, yeah. Definitely. I mean, Tobias, the way he's playing right now, a year from now, his contract is going to be so much more valuable than it is because it's it's declining and the cap is going up. And the Pistons do have to worry about being capped out. So, you know, the risk of losing Gallo if, if the trade were to go through, it's like, well, how the heck are you going to replace him? Um, how are you going to replace that production when you've got Tobias locked up for what? Is it th- two years after this season? I, I forget. Or three yeah, you, you'd have – if you traded him now, you'd, uh, you'd give away – two and a half years of his deal. So after the season, it's two more years. Yeah. I think it's difficult to do with someone that Ben, you're right. His contract is going to be so valuable and he's still 24 years old. Uh, he's played well since we've moved into the bench as well. That, that um, splitting him up from Reggie for, you know, has definitely helped, but. Well, it's all both players. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Reggie just looks more comfortable with the ball in his hands. That's when he's at his best. There's no question about it. It's also when he's at his worst, but (laughs) he's at his best when he doesn't feel pressure to let someone else run the show. Right. And you know, that's how things went for the first 20 games. It was really Tobias's show on offense and they just, it's not a criticism of either player. It's just, they don't, they haven't figured it out together. So splitting them just works for both of them. Reggie has also made uh, KCP slightly uh, less effective. Um, well, he had a really good game in Sacramento, but his usage rate has dropped noticeably since Reggie uh, returned to the starting lineup. And uh, we were earlier on on, uh, on an earlier podcast, uh, I talked about how uh, impressed I had been with KCP's uh, ball handling and ability to, uh, he showed an ability to create offense for himself, not necessarily for others, well, a little bit more for others, but more so for himself than he, that he had not shown in the past when Reggie was not on the floor. And right now, that's that's kind of missing. Uh, it's it's nice to know that that's something that KCP kind of has in his back pocket that uh, the team doesn't. I guess they don't feel or don't feel like he he needs to to show. But uh, that's something that's definitely noticeable to me as a as a net negative of Reggie's return. Yeah, and the, so the stats support that. Um, you can look at I won't I won't read them off, but you can look at like shot attempts per one hundred possessions. And Reggie is far and away leading the team. And everyone else other than Tobias, Marcus, and KCP, notably KCP, their shot attempts per 100 possessions have have fallen off quite a bit in the last 19 games. Well, awesome. Laz, we'll definitely have you on soon, have you on for another episode in the future. And if uh, when we end up training for Carmelo Anthony and and go on to win 50 (laughs) games, I'd love to have you on. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I if if that happens, I will eat a, a precarious amount of crow because I will be just so pleased that you were right. But I don't see that happening. <laughs> no, I don't either. But uh, can, I'm, I'm ready to maybe serve. We can clear enough cap space to give uh, Derek Rose a max contract this offseason. Oh to come my Carmel. gosh! He's only looking for 150, folks. <laughs> I, <it's, laughs> that dude kidding. is to ask for 30 a year is just incredible. I you really have to. Not just believe in yourself, but are you making that up? Your I, I just wonder about everyone that's around Derrick Rose when he says something like that, or when he doesn't show up for a game. What What are you getting from other people that tells you you could do this? Yeah. <laughs> are you, are you tomorrow, I'm not going to show up for work. 
And then Friday, I'm going to go in and demand a raise of 50%. Yes. yes Are you, is he not talking to his agent? Is his agent not telling him, like, what he's going to be worth? It's like, is the... That's my thing. It's like that's that's the thing where like your agent has to step in and be like, No, Derek, like we like we're trying to get thirty million, but we're not telling people we're trying to get thirty million because <laughs> right. it's a little early for that. Right. We're gonna try to get ten from Sacramento in oh, you know God. in the middle of July is probably what they're gonna look for. I mean if they trade Rondo, maybe he could end up back in Chicago. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Homecoming. Oh, <laughs> Love it. I, well, I think we'll end it right there. Ben, I'll be talking to you soon. Uh, back next week, probably on more of a normal schedule uh, as we you know, kind of settle into this new year. Uh, so I'll be talking to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks. All the work. All the work.